0: We're going to be continuing in the book of Genesis this morning. It will be in chapter 33. That's where Sam left off last week. Um, Mary, you've set the bar impossibly high for me. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and do things. Last, last time I taught, it was just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, like someone walked out on the teaching. So... <laughs> <laughs> Just like left the church, uh, so, um, so I apologize for that message, <laughs> and I'll uh, try to do better this time. Uh, Genesis 33. Uh, if you're if you're there, you can hold your spot. I'll try and cover two chapters uh, this week. Sam, uh, moves at such a, a rapid rate; it's it's difficult uh, for me to keep up when I need to fill in. I, am used to just teaching on a single verse and rambling for just hours, right? Until everyone's just weeping and gnashing their teeth and, uh, and then I stop, but I'm going to try, I'm going to try and cover two whole chapters. That's a lie. Um, I'm going to cover, I'm going to cover four verses in one chapter <laughs> and then we're going to immediately move on to the next chapter, All right? That's the plan for today. So let's go ahead and pray. Most gracious heavenly father. I thank you, Lord for this morning that you have blessed us with, Lord, this opportunity to sit at your feet, to see what you would have to say. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to each of us this day. I trust this morning into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is everything okay over there? <laughs> Daniel, is that you? Yeah. No? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. So oh my, it's still it's happening. Rapture. It's this is I'm left behind. I'm still here. Um, And so are you. So this is bad for all of us. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) There we go. It's Alex. Alex, it serves you right, Alex. He came up to me moments before I had to come up here and he said, hey, you know what? No pressure. But there's a lot of first-time visitors here this morning. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I appreciate that. So this morning, we're going to cover these two chapters, these two chapters that differ uh, tremendously, uh, both in, in content and in, and in tone, uh, but, the, but they are consistent in theme, right? And, and, and both chapters picture this idea that's central to scripture uh, as a whole. It's at the core uh, of what we believe in its reconciliation. And I'm going to try my best to not use that word a hundred times uh, during the next hour, um, maybe maybe forty five minutes i 'll shoot for that um, but but most likely it's it 's just going to happen uh, so i 'll apologize in advance for the repetitious use of reconciliation, but it 's in the Bible from beginning to end. You can really take the scriptures as a whole of a story uh, uh, or as a story of reconciliation uh, from from page 1 uh, to uh, the the end of revelation god is constantly trying to reconcile man to himself this idea of, of of bringing into agreement or bringing into harmony bringing into a right relationship and it's more than an intellectual or theological concept it's 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 the very reason that God gave his son. There, there are no other ideas that are more central and, and essential. So this morning we're going to consider reconciliation and, and, and our, our being reconciled to one another in the same manner that, that God, uh, has, has reconciled us to himself. Um, now we left off with Jacob preparing to, to meet his brother, his brother Esau. And he was sending all these gifts ahead of him. If you were here last week, then you, then you remember that. All in this attempt to, to pacify him. And then, you know, he begins to pray for God's protection over him. And, and it's been at least 20 years since he's seen Esau. And there's been absolutely no contact. And, and the, last, the, the last words that Esau spoke to his brother uh, Jacob, uh, were were troubling words to say the least. The next time I see you, I am going to kill you, and that's where their relationship ended. Esau, the 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 beast of a man that that he that he was, even as dim-witted as he could be, uh, realized that. Uh, that, that he had been uh, bamboozled by his brother, right? That that his brother had first taken the birthright and then taken the blessing. And, and he said, you know what? this This guy's days are numbered. When I see him, I'm going to end him. And 20 years, no contact. And now Esau rides out to meet him with a band of armed men. And Jacob couldn't defend himself if he wanted to, even if he tried to. He had... Uh, an army that looked very much so like a daycare uh, at his back. You know, all he had at his disposal was a bunch of, you know, nursing babies and pregnant wives with puffy ankles complaining about <laughs> complaining about the humidity, you know. Uh, this this was this was his army. He was absolutely helpless to defend himself and this is where we pick up our story in Genesis 33. Jacob looked up. And there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among uh, um, um, uh, among yeah, Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front. Uh, Leah and her children next. <laughs> it's really kind of mean. There's a hierarchy of affection here. You know, well, you could work your way through these people and then we'll get away maybe. Um, and Leah and Joseph in the rear, he himself went on ahead. So he's going in front of the whole pack and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept and we're going to, We're going to stop there for now. Everything in Jacob desired reconciliation. Every ounce of him ached for it. He offered everything he could to gain it. And and he lowered himself to this base position, not even counting himself as worthy to look his brother uh, eye to eye. And... And it's an incredible picture of, of mercy and forgiveness and the mercy and forgiveness that we have received from God and all that we have done to wrong God, all that we've done that is terrible towards God. And he rides out towards us at his disposal are all the, the instruments of mayhem. And, and in a breath, he could destroy us. He could just consume us. He could overtake us. And yet what does he do? He falls upon us to embrace us, to love us, before, before we can say a word. Jacob came groveling, but he didn't need to. Esau was waiting for the first sign on the horizon, that you're coming back, you're returning to me. After all of this time, after all the years that have passed, finally, my brother, he's back. And he, he cares little about the gifts he tries to refuse them. You can read on in the chapter to see how he eventually is just forced by Jacob to accept them. Jacob feels as if he must pay something for this kind of grace, for this kind of love and accepting or acceptance and, 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 and Esau doesn't gloat. he doesn't make him beg. he simply loves. And forgives, and and I think that here is where we learn our first great lesson about reconciliation. If you're a a note taker, then uh, you you can you can write this down, or you can punch it into your phone. And and it was actually something that, that Nick, right? It's Nick. Right, I'm not mistaken. I'm terrible with names. I'm actually not great with faces either. <laughs> Usually people say, oh, you are one or the other, but I, I just saw someone out the window when, when you were, when you, were leading worship and I was like, I know that guy, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, but, I'm sure I've, I've seen him every day of my life. Um, but when Nick was praying, he was, he was saying that, that we would, that this morning we would just let things go. That is the first step towards reconciliation. You will never step into any sort of reconciliation in relationships. There will never be harmony unless we first begin to let things go. Unless we first begin to uh, release. And, and you know, what? some of the things that you release could be perfectly valid. They could be totally justifiable, right? And 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 and. and, and but but in the end, you you can either have reconciliation or you can have. Resentment, but I don't think you can have both. I, I, you know, twenty years later, and, and he said, "I've had the anger. I've had that for twenty years. I don't want that anymore. I'm willing to let that go to have to have my brother back. I'm willing to let that go to have you." And Esau was right to be angry. And you know what? I I know a lot of you people, and and you're all you know just wonderful, brilliant people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to guess that all of you are 100% right all of the time. (laughs) And I think that that's a fair assessment, right? That we're all just 100% right all the time. And and we can die right. And we can die angry. And we can die alone. But, But why would we want that? right and and and, and we say i'd rather have my brother by my side i'd rather have you know my sister in my corner i'd rather have this relationship than than that resentment and 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 you know my my i, I remember growing up as a kid oh my mom there was a constant cycle of faces that i've already told you i have trouble remembering so maybe maybe they were all the same guy but <laughs> But there's a constant cycle of people coming through our house. And she's no longer like this. And she's just in her glorified body already, in case she's listening online. Mom, you're awesome. Um, But but I remember... (laughs) But, but I remember meeting uh, just so many people constantly as as a kid and and there would be a coworker that would come over one night for dinner and then they would disappear i 'd never see him again and there would be a cousin from Mexico that you know flew in from obscurity and and i I met her and shook her hand um, and then and then poof, like a vapor she was gone. Uh, our dentist would come over or something and then they 'd be gone you know there'd be someone she met at the deli and they 'd come over for a play date, and I would meet these kids and awkwardly play Ninja Turtles with them, and then poof, they were gone also and It's just this never ending uh, line this never ending parade you know of people um and and but you know maybe they didn't write a thank you card when they should have maybe uh, maybe they they didn't you know, give her a hug with the same amount of reciprocated authenticity as she offered her hug, or maybe they looked at her children brian and 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 michael me and and they they said those those kids they watch too much t v or they're just too handsome, which is a constant <laughs> just constant problem for me you know said so maybe maybe you know and then then and then you know uh it, it, They're gone out of our lives. And, 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 and from the cross, Jesus looked at, at his murderers and he said, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right. Right. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that they did. I'm pretty sure that they knew exactly what they were doing. Right. They, 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 they weren't caught off guard when people died on the cross. They knew that they were in the process of murdering someone. Right, But Jesus says, forgive them. Because Jesus knew then what Esau is just figuring out now is that if we're ever going to have a relationship, we need to learn how to let some things go. We need to learn how to forgive, right? We we need to, to make this decision that's the first principle of reconciliation. That I can have the anger or I can have my brother, but I can't have both. I can't have both and, and a lot of times you know, I bury uh, anger or bitterness or resentment so far down that i don 't even realize that it 's there, and, and I have trouble uh, with you know my brother or, or my mother or my father or my wife or my son. I never have trouble with my son. the kid 's amazing. Did you see when I was walking up here to teach and he was following me? Who saw that? How adorable is that? <laughs> oh my goodness, that kid ah uh, i 'm sorry. Um, So, but, but I can, and, and you know what? I'm, I'm totally right. I'm totally right. And and I remember having arguments with my mom as a, as a child and, and she would say, you know what? I guess you're just always right. And and I would say, why else would I be arguing? Of course I'm right. That's why I'm arguing. I know I'm right. Right. And, and, but, but I was wrong. I was wrong because there could never be any sort of reconciliation, unless you let go of that first, you might be totally right. But reconciliation begins with, with forgiveness because people know not what they're doing. None of us really do. That's the reality of it. We're all just figuring stuff out as we go along and we're reckless creatures. We're bound to hurt each other. It's just part of life. We just need to let things go. We just need to, to forgive. Um, and, and for all that you can say about Esau and, and uh, what a brute the man was, he gives us a picture of reconciliation that is not improved upon until you get to the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament. And Here's a man that ran out to meet his brother that had terribly wronged him and robbed him of everything that was pure and good in his life. And he falls on him only to embrace him and kiss him and weep over him. And he offers him uh, this great extension of of love and acceptance and gratitude. And the rest of chapter 33 says, come home with me. You can live in your your childhood land, this land that you tried to take by force. I'm going to welcome you with open arms. And Jacob says, you know what? We're going to stay here. For a season, we're going to settle down for a time. We've been on the run for far too long. And so Jacob pitches his tent in Canaan, builds an altar, and enters into a season that he will soon regret tremendously. And we continue in chapter 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit uh, the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and violated her. Your Bible may say that he raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. Uh, Dinah went out to see the women of the land uh, commentators uh, really unite in their interpretation of this text and and, and i'm going to share their interpretation of this text with you so that we can we can build on it for a moment <clears throat> they, they said that uh, they 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 say uh, that that this represents a distinct failing on the, on the part of, of Jacob. And, and that it's a warning, really, for Christians everywhere um, uh, for, for us to not allow our children, and really for us to keep ourselves from mingling with the world in any sort of meaningful sense. Um, that, that, that if, if you know heaven forbid uh, one of our children should ex- express any sort of curiosity about uh, the outsiders um, that that this story should be taken as a reminder and a warning to squash that curiosity. Um, it's a warning to parents to not allow their children to experience anything out of the immediate walls of the church. Um, Because outside the immediate walls of the church are those that want to, and you'll have to excuse the language, but this is the language that that is used. They'll have to, are those that want to rape you and take your purity uh, from you, that want to hijack your holiness and, and, and rob you of your righteousness. And Jacob was lax, and we should learn from him. And Dinah uh, was naive and uh, partially at fault for what happened to her. Um, this text is used in commentaries to support everything from communal living and homeschooling to a militant separation Uh, from the world at large and condemnation of all outside of our sect of Christianity. Um, And you know what? Maybe Jacob was lax. Maybe Dinah uh, was naive. And maybe you are in complete agreement with those uh, commentators. Uh, But I'm not. You know, granted in this time, um, and in this place, it would be unwise for a woman uh, to wander about unsupervised in Canaan. Rape was something that was common. And it was it was seen as something that you actually didn't need to apologize for. Uh, women were just really devalued in that part of the world and at that time. Um, and, and you will never see an apology in this text for what happens to Dinah. Actually. Uh, Shechem and Hamor uh, are going to have this lengthy conversation with Jacob. An apology is nowhere found. There's no, the, there's no request for repentance. They just didn't think that this was something that was wrong in in, in any regard. Um, and, and promiscuity was common in this part of the world. It was actually part of their religious system. Right in Canaan, you would have you know, these large sexual gatherings uh, to celebrate and glorify your God, right? So this is something uh, that was really embedded in the culture. So mixing it up with people like that for a young lady was fundamentally unsafe. But to say that there's a universal principle that's pictured here, that this is something that uh, you know. This is the message that we need to take away from this text. That that this is the bottom line. That if you if, if you mix it up with the universe around you, you are in sin. You are in danger, and you are bringing shame to your God. I think is missing the mark tremendously. The problem exists. In, in saying that no Christian should go there and that's a fundamental problem because anywhere that there is there are people and and God cares about people God is always wanting to be reconciled to people that's a problem you know when when Sam when Sam and some of the folks uh, here at Genesis um, decided to uh, have a, a meeting at a pub. We called it Theology Pub. Right, a lot of you guys were there. You guys were there, right? Both of you, yeah. Um, and I remember talking about it in a leadership meeting. So like, we're gonna go to a pub and we're gonna have a meeting. We're gonna see what happens. Um, there was this massive backlash on Facebook I'm um, just all these people were up in arms about the fact that we would go to a pub, uh, which is really just a fancy word for a bar. Can I call it a bar? <laughs> I think pub takes the, the cultural teeth out of bar. It was a bar. It was really, did they serve food? Okay. It, but a food is like distinctive to a pub. Is it not? Can you have, it was a bar, right? <laughs> so, we were going to a bar and we were going to have a talk there. And, um, and, and, you know, you you would have thought that we were, you know, putting on robes and sacrificing goats while, you know, chanting to Beelzebub or something, you know, and all these people just, you, you know, you're, you're in sin. How could you do this terrible thing? You know, and, and I remember going there and, um, and it was actually a really nice place and we sat in a circle outside and we talked about god and it, and it was it was kind of disappointing how normal it was you know <laughs> after all of that hype i expected you know like it to be different but it was like a regular meeting you know the only difference was that there were a few people that you know had a beer in one hand while they had their bible in the other hand that was the singular difference, um, but that was a, enough of a difference to raise just a tremendous fuss about the whole idea of having a meeting at a pub bar place you know and and i 'll never forget this conversation that that I had with a man after that meeting, um, and I guess he's a man that that frequents that bar and um, I wasn't able to speak a whole lot during the meeting because we were on the exterior of the circle, uh, cause we had arrived late. Um, so I didn't actually hear a lot of what was happening. All I know is that there were a couple of people that frequent the bar that joined our circle and they had some long and, Im- and impassioned opinions about things. Um, and he was one of those people. I, I heard the emotion in his responses, I didn't hear the words in his responses. So after the pub meeting, we hung out and we talked for a while. And and I'll never forget what he said. He said, I'm so glad you guys came. I haven't actually thought about God in years. And that thought, it it, it stopped us both dead in our tracks. Because I think we both realized in that moment the significance of what he said. So he actually repeated it again. He said, I haven't thought about God. The idea of a God... Any god, a god, God. I haven't thought about God in years. And he said, you, "You've you've all given me a lot to think about. You've all given me a lot to to reconsider." And and he thanked us. And you know what? That happened at a pub. That happened at a bar. There are some fish that will never jump into the boat. That's just a reality of it. I don't go fishing, you know. You could probably have a more seasoned conversation about this with Travis. He goes fishing all the time. <clears throat> but I always imagine that fish are better than that. Right? You know, give fish a little bit of credit. You're not just gonna hang out in your boat and they're just gonna pff, 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 and just dive in. And then you're gonna be like, okay, well, I'm done. I can go home. Caught twelve fish. They all just came right to me. No, because they realize they look and they go those fish they go to that boat I don't see them again you know I'm going to stay in the water where I know my surroundings <laughs> because that that's a mystery out there so I'm going to stay here and so Jesus didn't say follow me and I will make you receivers of men right you didn't just say open up your doors they're going to come piling through that's all you got to do never go out there They will come to you, sir. No. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? It's going to necessitate you going out there where people are. People are out there. And you will go to them. And you will reach them right where they're at. Now, don't misunderstand me, you know. Um, i 'm not saying that all Christians should go everywhere right and I'm, i wouldn 't send my baby to that pub bar place right the way he stumbles around sometimes when he walks maybe he 'd fit in <laughs> but i wouldn 't <laughs> but, <laughs> but i wouldn 't send him there that would be wrong you know, additionally if if you know you you, you struggle with Alcohol and even the smell of alcohol, or to be in proximity of it, would just thrust you into the debilitating embrace of sin. Then it wouldn't be an idea. It wouldn't be a good idea to be there either, right? I I think that we we can all think of exceptions to this, and there's wisdom that needs to be exercised um, um, in in this, but but. But you know, I can be—I can be around beer, and it won't hobble my Christianity. Um, I can even have a beer, and because of my substantial girth <laughs> and body mass index, feel no effects. But while I'm experiencing no ill consequences, I can have a conversation with someone. They can have eternal consequences for that person and I think that's valuable to consider I, I think that that's that's worth that's worth weighing right now uh, the 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 primary argument and I might as well bring this because you know we're already we're already going there the primary argument that people would raise uh, against something like this would be, you know, going there could create a stumbling block for somebody else that, that struggles with this. They say, you know, if you're, uh, if you're going there and doing that and talking to those people and mixing it up in that atmosphere, you're going to stumble all kinds of other people uh, around you. And, and you know what? What if someone stumbles? I think it's a valid hypothetical question. But what if someone is saved? I think that's God's question, right? (laughs) Um, You know, we've used the idea of stumbling uh, as a biblical means to justify both our lethargy and legalism. And I don't think either of those things are worth anything to God. Actually, God had a lot to say against both of those things. Um, It's just not a valid excuse for us anymore. It should have never been. But we've we've settled into it. We've dug in our heels for all sorts of things that the Bible doesn't say are wrong. You know, the Bible doesn't say this is wrong, but we have added it to the Bible. We've said, no, this is wrong because we have a catch-all. We can throw this broad net and say it could stumble someone so we shouldn't we shouldn't do it whatever whatever wh- whatever it is and in an attempt to be right and righteous beyond the standards of the bible which is mind blowing you want to be more right and righteous than the bible <laughs> what beyond the standards of the bible we throw this broad net and we say you know what let's just not stumble anyone let's not take any chances let's build walls around ourselves Let's build all these walls to keep ourselves safe so that we, don't, we, we never stumble anyone. And, 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 and in these walls, we'll isolate ourselves so that we're separated from our surroundings. But the problem is, when we isolate ourselves from our surroundings, we have no impact on our surroundings. And, and Jesus was never afraid to knock down walls, Jesus was never afraid to offend people's legalism. He was never afraid to call people out on their lethargy. He, the, the, the religious people, the righteous people, the, the Facebook people of his time, <laughs> <laughs> of his time, they, they called him a friend of sinners. They called him a glutton and a drunk. They called him all these things that they were calling us Right, And we're so afraid to be called those things. We feel this intense need to defend ourselves when we're called these things. We're in good company if we're called those things. They said that about Jesus because he went out to where people were. He went beyond the walls and he hung out with these people. He ate and drank with these people. He celebrated with these people we're so afraid that people will call us something that we don't do anything and we have no impact on our surroundings now going to the pub that isn't for everyone obviously and I'm sure you can think of other places that that you shouldn't go But I can tell you that, that going to the pub that day or going going to the skate park, we went to the skate park a couple of Thursdays ago with, with the high schoolers. Uh, the place in Upland. We were told specifically to avoid that skate park in upland. It's filled it's filled with druggies and and homeless people and violent thugs. Stay away. You know, and so I, we we took high schoolers there. <laughs> 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 These people have been intentionally avoided by Christians, and and I I, I find myself. Asking, how will Jesus ever get the reward of his sacrifice if we continue to avoid people? Jesus died for them, and we're making sure that they never meet him. We're making sure of it. Shame on us. You know, shame on me. I've been far too preoccupied during some portions of my life with my reputation as a Christian or with my illogical ethic of exclusion. And so I simply do nothing. If we don't go out, we have entirely missed the point. Um, you know today uh, after service <clears throat> i'm going to go back to that skate park and i've been going back there every sunday because we met a boy there we met this we met this guy he's he's 21 i want to say um he he dropped out of high school and ever since he was in diapers he's been bouncing around from one place to another Periods of his life, he's been homeless, living with friends, or sleeping in cars, um, and he he wants to get his GED. So every Sunday, uh, I've been going back there and working with him towards that goal, towards his GED. I mention him only to say this to you um, that that last Sunday when I was out there, or it was actually the Sunday before that. Um, there was another fellow passing through the park. Giant, scary, looking cholo. Yeah. Shaved head, teardrops, the whole nine. And he didn't have any teeth, which I'm taking as a bad sign. (laughs) Um, He stopped by our table and he sat down right next to us. And so I was thinking, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that this place can be somewhat unpredictable. And you know, he said, What are you guys doing? And I said, We're working on the, the writing subset of the GED. And he said, Do you know anything about algebra? <laughs> and so I said, I lied, I said yes. <laughs> And, uh, and he said, do you think you can help me too? And, and I said, yeah, sure. I said, next Sunday, let's get together. Uh, I meet, I meet Anthony at 12 and he said, well, that's great. Now you can meet two Anthony's at 12 because his name's Anthony too. And, um, the problem is i can't i can't teach writing and algebra at the same time and you know what if you want to go to a place that christians have intentionally avoided if you want to go to a place and be a bright light that shines and draws other people towards god to give him the reward of his sacrifice you know if you can't preach but you can teach algebra maybe you don't play an instrument, but you can praise God and please God, then you can be Jesus to that man today in like 45 minutes. That could be you. If you you don't know anything about algebra, then you're in good company. (laughs) But, But if you don't know anything about algebra... You know what, you can donate food to those hungry latchkey kids that skate at that park, rejected by everybody else, and knowing that there's something more out there in the world. They just don't know what it is yet. You can be Jesus to them too. And we can all we can all finally get it. Right, That this is what it was always supposed to look like. This is what it was always supposed to be about. This is what Christianity was supposed to look like. That for us to be in the world, but not of the world, doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from the world. It really means that we righteously immerse ourselves in the world. Because the fact is um, that that's what Jesus did. But you know, when we do that, when Jesus did that, we open ourselves up to the evils that exist in the world. And and we need to take that into consideration. Uh, Because Jesus exposed himself to those evils and, and suffered the consequences of them. And Dinah has suffered the consequences of them. That doesn't mean that we withdraw from the world. That doesn't mean that now we start building up walls to keep ourselves from the world. But sadly, sadly, that's what happens often in the world. And now, uh, in our story, we have a violated little girl, a devastated father, and a broken family, and, and reconciliation Is the last thing on their mind. And quickly, I'm going to try and finish the rest of this. Continuing in verse 5. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the field with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. And now Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened, and they were filled with grief and fury. Because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by laying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. You know what? Uh, sometimes anger is, is justifiable, and it's it's not sinful. The Bible says, "Be angry, and and do not sin." What they did with their anger, what they will do with their anger, was not justifiable and and it was sinful. There are all kinds of things in this world that should make us angry. The fact that those aren 't the things that make us angry most of the time is really kind of sad um, you know i get I get angry about all the wrong things all the time. I get angry if I have to wait more than thirty seconds for my jack in the box tacos. You know, um, when really I should be, I should just be patient and I should be grateful that such a wonderful thing exists in this universe and that I get to enjoy it. Me of all people, lowly Michael, I get to experience the the treasure trove that is Jack in the Box tacos. Um, I get angry when when I get cut off in traffic, specifically in traffic. I feel like no one's moving. So for someone to get in front of me fills me with rage. And and I just look at him and I go, why don't you just wait in line like the rest of us are waiting in line. No one's moving. And it just makes me want to drive through the person. But <laughs> that's just me being petty, right? And uh, we're needing to forgive. I don't wake up angry about world hunger. <laughs> I wake up angry about my own hunger. I don't wake up angry about theft unless it's my house that has been broken into. These are things that make God angry. In Proverbs, the root of all these things are listed amongst things that God hates. It talks about things that God hates. God hates and God feels angry because some things are worth hating and some things are worth being angry about. And that's okay. That's okay. But what we do with those things is what's really important. And what and what Jacob's sons are about to do with righteous anger is squander an opportunity for reconciliation with revenge. And let's read the next chunk. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters. We'll take uh, take our daughters for yourself. You can uh, settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, acquire property in it. And Shechem said to Dinah's father, and it should be Jacob and his brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like. I'll pay it, whatever you ask me. Only give me the girl as my wife. Listen, any man that says that he loves you, obviously this is, maybe I shouldn't say obviously. This is for the women in the crowd. Um, Any man that says that he loves you while he's taking advantage of you, does not love you. Okay. Let that be a lesson to you. (laughs) That man doesn't love you, right? He loves himself. First and foremost, he loves how you make him feel. He was using Dinah as a utilitarian device for his own entertainment, and he he'd, he'd gone to the point where in, in this it's in this conversation in every word that uh, she was nothing more than a car to him. He'd taken her for a test drive, and he he liked he liked that. And now he's looking at the salesman and saying, "Name your price," as if she's something to be bought. Um, and it's it's a terrible, despicable moment. And and Jacob doesn't even say a word and in his silence his sons uh take over the conversation to set the stage for the most blasphemous act of cruelty probably in the entire bible it's what we're going to finish on today and let me tell you right not the passage that i would voluntarily pick for guest speaking <laughs> right if you're visiting here like hey it's a guest speaker why did he choose that passage not not my choice. Um, but we're, we're going to continue now through the end in verse 13. Let's do this. because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father, Hamor, they said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will give our consent to you on one condition only. That you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor. I don't know why. And his son Shechem. The young man... Uh, who was the most honored of all of his father's household, lost no time in doing what he said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the fellow townsmen. These men are friendly towards us, They said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters. They can marry ours. But the men will consent to live with us as one people Only on the condition that our males be circumcised, as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and and all their animals become ours? So let us give our consent to them, and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem. Again, I don't know why. And every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, Took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields, and they carried off all their wealth and all their women and children taking his plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought uh, trouble on me by making me a stench, or maybe in your Bible it says by making us obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me, attack me, I and my household would be destroyed. They replied, should we have treated our sister like a prostitute? So problem solved, conflict resolved. The young men returned home and no doubt they took their victory over this community as a sign of God's favor. Well, look what God has blessed us with. Look how good God has been to us. An entire city laid to waste. We took it all, walked off with all their wealth, all their animals, even their women and children to become no doubt our slaves. And, Because reconciliation wasn't in the picture, the only thing that really mattered to them was was justice. And because of one man's crime, an entire community was saved. No doubt that wasn't the initial plan. Probably their initial plan was to go in there and just kill Shechem. But you can't do that. Shechem's an important person. They kill Shechem, then everyone will retaliate and kill them. So they said, well, let's just kill them all. Because of this man, all are judged and condemned. Now, just a few chapters ago, God was looking for one or just a handful of righteous people to save all of Sodom and Gomorrah. And these boys now are looking for just a single man to condemn all of this region in Canaan. And the fact that this whole community was so willing to embrace this religious right indicates that reconciliation was within reach. This story could have had a beautifully harmonious ending and God could have gotten uh, great glory from it. But you have the other side of the coin so perfectly pictured here in contrast to chapter 33 that things can never be made right if we don't want them to be and really that's at the core of it if we don't want reconciliation you're not going to have it right if 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 our attitude is i'm hurt and i'm done i'm annoyed and i'm done right i'm i'm offended so i'm done and isn't it great that god isn't like that i must hurt and annoy and offend god a dozen times a day and he's never done, all right. I don't want reconciliation, so I don't have it. That's really the bottom line of it all, because the cost is too great. The cost is always justice, because really reconciliation is rarely fair. It's not fair. It's 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 it's, it's not fair uh, that 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 Jesus being totally innocent should die for me. Totally guilty. And he could have looked at that scenario and was like, hey, you know what? This isn't fair, so I'm done. I'm not going to go in for that. That's a terrible deal. These boys weren't willing to do that. They weren't willing to sacrifice justice, fairness for reconciliation. So they didn't have it. Even though the entire community got together and they said, you know, we could be counted as a son of Abraham. We, the promise can be for us. We could be amongst them. Their God really can be our God. We can be one people. And isn't that what we really want from the world? <clears throat> I mean, can you imagine a day that the entire world unifies? And then they say, what do we have to do? We want to be with you. And we say, You believe in Jesus and accept his sacrifice and they go done and it's done this group that day. They said, we want to be with you. What do we have to do? And they said, you got to get circumcised and they actually did it. That blows my mind. A bunch of adult males and they said, you got to be circumcised to be one of us. And they said, okay, what's circumcision? And they said, well, you cut. And then they said, I'm out. <laughs> no, they said, I'm in. <laughs> they were still in. They did it. All of them went through it to share in the promise, to share in the blessing. I can't imagine it. But they were willing to do it. And God would have been smiling down on these people, these children that, that worked out an opportunity for salvation for so many men if he didn't know what they really had in their heart all along because they cared nothing about the salvation of these men. They, they, they used their holiest ritual as a weapon, as a weapon to shut people out of the kingdom of God. And, and Jacob looks at him and he goes, you know what, when, when now the only word that will come into the mind of anyone when they think of us is obnoxious, and I think a lot of times that's the only word that comes into the mind of the world when they think of us still today, obnoxious. Those are those obnoxious people. <laughs> those are those Christians, those terribly obnoxious people, because we've weaponized who we are for the purpose of Exclusion. Exactly the same way that these kids did. We've taken all that we are—the the Bible, our God, our church—and we've turned it like a giant weapon against the world, and, and 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 it brings shame to God, and it brings shame to us, and we've made ourselves obnoxious. And this was never more clear to me than uh, than when I got off work one morning at three a.m. I used to work the night shift at UPS, and and I got home, and it was. 3 a.m and my phone rang and I was looking at my phone like, why are you ringing why this three? who who was awake at 3 a.m besides me and, uh, and and there was this this obnoxious group of Christians that had been out street witnessing and I had trained this obnoxious group of Christians because I was the most obnoxious of all of the Christians and and they said I, we met this equally obnoxious heathen." And he has all these really obnoxious questions about the validity of the Bible and the historicity, the historicity of Jesus. And And so, go. And they aimed me like a bazooka at this man. And they said, you know, fire! And, and I did, and and I've studied and I know what I believe. And I knew all the arguments and I knew all the counter arguments. And, and when this young man ran out of arguments, I began to set him up again, only so that I could throw him down and, and on and on it went until about five in the morning and he had nothing left and he was incredibly broken and saddened and shamed. And then they handed the phone back to these, these young people that, that I had trained up and cheering. They thanked me and we all celebrated this moment. And I hung up the phone and I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget that night's sleep. There was no sleep. I was tormented by what I had just done for the first time in my life, realizing what I had just done. God burdening my heart saying, was that, was that good? What you just did? Should you be celebrating what you've just done? you have weaponized me. You've defeated others with me. You're, this isn't a conquest with me. And we use all these words, this jargon in our church services, like, let's go out there and conquer the world for Jesus. And this is what these men have done. And they've returned home. We've conquered the world. And Jacob looks at them and goes, you should be ashamed of yourself. You haven't conquered the world. You brought shame to God. God wanted reconciliation and you did Everything. You did everything to shut the doors of the kingdom of heaven in the world's face. This is the antithesis—the antithesis of what God wants. And and and, but for all their faults, their their question was was valid. And we'll end with this. I really need to end with this. I'm sorry. It's it's already late, and there's food out there, which makes it worse. Who's late on a food day? That's I'm a bad person. They said, should we have treated our sister like a prostitute? For all that they had done wrong, they'd done something. When Jacob was doing nothing. You know, I I rarely uh, watch any sort of sports. There's about an hour a year that I watch an athletic event and it's the Super Bowl. And I really, I just go for the nachos because they're almost always guaranteed to be at a gathering for football. And, um, but it's, it's, even though I know nothing about sports, specifically football, unless Eileen is telling me what the game is all about, because she, she knows an obnoxious amount about football. You know, it's just insanity. Don't applaud that. but you know it's so easy to itemize flaws even for someone like me that knows absolutely nothing you know uh, when when the the guy (laughs) this is going to be very technical when the guy retrieves the ball from (laughs) from between the legs of the other fellow in front of him which seems as someone that doesn't know anything about football, like an odd structural decision for a game, <laughs> right? Like, okay, so this is how it's going to start. I'm going to take that ball from between your legs. I'd be like, why don't I just hand it to you? <laughs> why would we start, start each play like that? But no, when he takes the ball from between the, the fellow's legs, and then he, he just runs headlong into the crowd, I know nothing about football and I'm looking at him like why didn't you throw that ball to one of those guys over there that had his arms very much so like a like a like a receptacle you know like he was he was prepared to receive from you he's called a receiver isn't he oh my gosh that just that blew my mind Oh my gosh, that's insane. <laughs> but it's true. You watch those games and you can't help it, right? You can't help it. You can't help it, but look at it and go, you know what? If I was there, I wouldn't have done that, right? I would have done this whole thing differently. The fact is you're not there and you're not doing it. And Jacob wasn't there and he wasn't doing it. And the reason why Christians are obnoxious in this world is because the Jacobs of this world, the mature patriarchs, are silent. They're not doing anything. What this world needs is not a bunch of people sitting around talking about how Christians could be obnoxious. We need a bunch of people in this world getting out there and, and doing something that is not obnoxious, right? And I'm so glad to be a part of a church that is so totally not obnoxious that is getting out and actually doing stuff. I'm kind of obnoxious still. <laughs> but but I mean even right now we have a team in Haiti and we have a team in Mexico. Like they just left. They're doing stuff right now. We're not being obnoxious, we're being generous. Right? We're not going out into our community and and, and we're and excluding people and shutting people out. Right? We're constantly seeking how we could be a blessing to our community, how we can reach out to our community, how we can go to pubs and skate parks to change lives and be Jesus to people in our community. And you know what, if you, if you are like Jacob right now and you're looking on and, and you're saying, you know what, this is, this is bad. This is bad. The the Christians are obnoxious and Christians can be exclusive and Christians just, they constantly build walls and they're afraid of, of anyone that would say anything to come against their reputation as, as just holy and monkish. Then, then you know what? I invite you, I invite you, I invite you to, to, to do what Jacob didn't. Right, to do more than itemize flaws, to do more than criticize players, I invite you to to take that ball and run headlong into the crowd and do something with us, because together we can do together we can do a lot. Let's go ahead and pray so that we can all eat. Most gracious heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning that we've had together. Lord, you're so good. You are so, so good. I pray, God, that we would seek nothing but reconciliation, Lord, with with our family, with those around us, with those in our community, that we would reach out constantly, that we would tear down walls with every opportunity, that we would be fishers of men, that we would be like you. And Lord, I praise you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.